amazing there. Isn't that an amazing clip? Um, I've seen the full interview that's up on our YouTube channel, and I really recommend it. It's an amazing interview. It's so beautiful to see the interaction between two people of different generations. And that is all what we're going to be focusing on today. So um, good morning and welcome, everybody. My name is Alex, and I'm um, on the staff team here. I'm one of the ministers at ABC. And I'm really excited, actually, we've been talking about this this morning, that we're really excited about this new series, which is all about how we can learn to love and respect each other across the generations. And this idea that we are better together. And I find this a really poignant top topic for me personally at the stage of life that I am in. And I want to share a little bit about that first off this morning, because uh, in recent years between my family and my husband's family, we've said goodbye to a number of our most senior generation. We've actually lost quite a few of our grandparents as well as different great aunts and uncles in a really condensed period of time. So there's been a real sense of loss, actually, and sadness, a bit of regret, because we wish we'd just got to spend more time uh, with these people. But there's also been an amazing opportunity for gratitude. Uh, it's been an amazing time to sort of reflect and realize we were so privileged that our lives overlapped, that we got to spend some of our lives with those generations who came before us. And they've been really special, and we have amazing memories from that. Now that um, I've started my own family, some of you will know we had a baby at the end of last year, that the importance of intergenerational relationships have become even more evident to me. And I want to just share two moments that have really stood out to me in the past year. Two uh, pictures are going to be on the screen. So the first one that's up, this is of four generations of men in my husband's family. It was taken when our son was just two days old and my husband's uh, granddad was 94 in that picture. So that's an amazing age span, isn't it? And the next one is four generations on my mum's side. So our, our son was just four months old there, and my nan is 96 years old in that picture. And I just look at those pictures, and they just, they're so special to me, because sadly, since they were taken, both my nan and my husband's grandfather have passed away, which is really sad, but we, we feel so privileged we got those moments with them, and particularly the interaction between the oldest and youngest in our families, even though it's for a brief moment, it's, there's just something really special about that. And that's what really struck me, the sort of the beauty that there is in, in, in the different generations coming together. And actually, although, you know, nowadays in Western worlds, people are having children a little bit old, a little bit later on in life, this is quite a sort of modern concept, a modern image, so to speak. And I'll explain why. I'm sure we're all aware that actually people are living for longer now, aren't they? We know that actually life expectancy has dramatically improved, particularly in Western countries due to things like advances in science and medicine. We now understand more about things like the quality of life. And I'm going to give you a few more stats this morning on top of Chris's stats. So uh, I was looking at um, the life tables produced by the Office for National Statistics that were started in 1841 that give us some information about this. And apparently, since they were started, life expectancy has over doubled. So in 1841, this is the average life expectancy for a male and a female. So it's pretty low, isn't it? My understanding is things like infant mortality rates are part of why it is so low. So then looking at the turn of the century, I think they took a two-year sort of um, span to get the figures off. It's only gone up a little bit. Fast forward 100 years then to the turn of this century, and you can see it's a bit higher, 79 years for a male, 83 years for a female. 
Females seem to live longer. I don't really know why. If anyone has any uh, medical or scientific evidence, I'd be interested. And yeah, and so projections for babies that were born in 2020. So these are the predictions for a boy that's born 87 years and 90 years for a female, which they're amazing, aren't they? Those figures are really uh, impressive. And actually, some more information that I found out projects that for these babies born in the year 2020, almost 14% of males will reach 100 years of age, and almost 20% of females will reach 100 years of age. That's amazing, isn't it? You know, like, these statistics just wouldn't have been believable like half a century even ago. And of course, this may well increase over time. So what can we take away from these statistics this morning? Well, I think we all know, don't we, not only is the span of ages in our society increasing, but actually we're going to be living in a world and a society where there are, there are bigger numbers of people in those older age groups, and that is going to continue. And this means that an intergenerational society is both a reality and an opportunity as we move forward. However, there are challenges to it, aren't there? I'm sure we are all aware of this. It's not that easy to simply work across generations and to bridge those gaps. But for this idea that we are better together to truly work, we need to do more than to simply just acknowledge the statistics. We need to go further than just tolerating one another, just tolerating other generations. However, and as I was doing some research for this in the week, I, I realized that public opinion is not particularly helpful or positive about this issue. You may be aware that we're now in a position where uh, there are extensive generational labels, and Charlotte and I were talking about this in the studio before the service. Um, you now can work out, depending on when you were born, what generational um, box you are in. There's different labels that according to when you were born, and these reflect what was going on in the world at that time. And you may be aware that there are various stereotypes uh, that go along with each of these generations. Perhaps you've heard things banded around like this. That Generation Y, so these are millennials, which is my generation, well, they're lazy, entitled. The baby boomers, well, they're the mega rich ones. The bank of mum and dad, I think, is the saying. And then Gen Z, so one of the newer ones, well, they see more of their phone screen than their own families. I wonder if you have heard any of those. Now, you may be able to place yourself in one of those categories. Maybe you're already very aware of which generational category you're in. But if you're not too sure, you need a bit of help identifying it. We've just got a short video we're going to show that might help you to identify which characteristics you most uh, connect and resonate to. So let's watch this video together. I like the way different generations arrive at people's houses. You've basically got boomers who will turn up completely unannounced anytime from about seven o'clock in the morning and they will knock on your door just slightly louder than the police using a battering ram carrying out a house raid and then you've got gen x they would have made the plans well in advance and they would have also checked in a couple of days before just to make sure the plans are definitely still happening you see gen x are the forgotten generation and they're so scarred by this title they would have assumed that you'd forgotten not only about the plans but about their very existence Millennials will have hoped that the plans would have been cancelled. There's no reason that a millennial will have actually want to come to your house. Uh, they will arrive late, but they will text you to say they're on their way, just they're about to get into the shower. And a millennial will never knock on your door. You'll just get a text either saying here or outside, and that's your uh, cue to go and let them in. Similarly, Gen Z will never actually knock, uh, but the chances are they won't have to. They would have been documented the entire journey from their house to yours, maybe even on FaceTime using this angle as they go along for some reason. Either that, or they'll just send a picture of your front door or a selfie of them outside it. And again, just like the millennial, that's your cue to go and rescue them from the outside world. This is how different generations react to the doorbell. 
Who's that? I'll go and find out. Who's that? Check the camera. So was that helpful? <laughs> Do you feel like you can better identify yourself with the generations? I must say, as a millennial, I don't really identify with that at all. And actually, from some research I've done, uh, we as millennials, if any, there are any others watching today or with us, apparently we are responsible for lots of things going wrong in the world. So if anyone should feel a bit sore about this, I think it's us millennials. But as light-hearted and as um, jovial as that video was, it makes some really interesting points, doesn't it? That we can actually draw distinctions between generations. We can actually quite easily stereotype and find different characteristics. And there are some sort of positives to this. It's important to identify different generations, mainly so we can protect them, particularly I'm thinking older persons or even the younger. But actually, there's also lots of mistruths out there, isn't there? There's lots of things that highlight the differences in a negative way rather than any positive light. There seems to actually be a trend throughout history that generations blame each other for their own struggles and difficulties. And that, goes, that works both ways. I wonder how often you've ever heard things like this, that the younger people, or the youth today, are lazy, they're entitled, they're weak, they don't make them like they used to type attitude. Sometimes the youth are sort of responsible for things apparently like increasing crime rates um, and a decreasing or weakening economy. And again, I mentioned certain, there are certain generations that get a bit of a harder time than others on this. Or, on the other side of things, how often have you heard things like this, that an older person is out of touch, technologically challenged, resistant to change, and as a result, so often dismissed? Maybe you've even had these kinds of thoughts yourself. And actually, this is what we might call the generational blame game. And as I mentioned, it's nothing new. It's been going on probably forever since the dawn of human, of human history. In fact, if you look in uh, the Bible, the biblical account, we have a creation and a story about how humanity came into being. Blame features very early on, in fact. And it's often, or it can often be, those generations that are closest to one another that really rub up against each other and that come in to direct conflict. And I saw this actually as I was sort of looking into the, this topic this week. I came across um, a magazine. It was a Canadian magazine that had released this one issue of their magazine, which had two front covers, which you can see up on the screen or on your screens at home. And it's quite provocative, isn't it? So depending on which way you picked up that magazine, that was the front cover you saw. Actually, they weren't meaning to be divisive here. They actually wanted to uh, prove a point. They weren't trying to be disrespectful at all because the feature article inside was all about how the generational blame game has become really toxic in society, how it's become very divisive and explains actually, you can probably read it on the screen, that there, it says that there are no winners when it comes to this approach. 
And the article sort of highlights some big issues where these, these tensions really come to the fore, where that generational battleground is really sort of um, obvious. And one issue we know, like climate change, can bring about all these different views. And actually, it's quite sad in a way, isn't it, to see the generations sort of up against one another, pointing the finger and blaming each other. And there are so many other big issue topics that cause this kind of outcome. And it is recognised, again, in this, in this article, that various stereotypes can lead to serious discrimination and blame that really disrupts society, and it actually makes for a world where everyone is worse off. Uh, and there was a podcast that went along with this article that I also listened to, and it's really interesting hearing two people sort of talk through these issues. And uh, in, this, in this sort of conversation, they identified that actually, amidst all the division and differences, that there, need, there was a need to find a common ground between the generations. There was that need to find something that would bring the generations together. And the person uh, being interviewed actually said that, well, there is one thing that brings people together. And they said that one thing is love, uh, which may seem very obvious now that we like hear it. But genuinely loving others, it isn't easy, is it? especially when there are significant differences, when we have a difference with somebody else, and particularly when that goes across a generation. And this is the idea that I want us to look at a little bit closer today. And to do that, we're going to go back about 2,000 years, as we often do. We're going to look at what, what one of the earliest leaders of the Christian faith had to say on this issue. And that leader is a man called Paul, uh, who lived around um, just after the time of Jesus. And we are so privileged to have some of the letters that he wrote uh, in the New Testament part of the Bible. These were letters written to different sort of communities of people known as Christians that were brand new sort of communities springing up in the ancient world. And Paul led a lot of these communities and he had to give them advice and help them to sort of muddle and navigate through life and the societies they found themselves in because Christianity was this sort of brand new faith movement. So one letter we're going to look at today was in a, a letter that Paul writes to people, to Christians living in Rome, which was the capital of an em the world empire at the time. And he talks about the importance of love and the importance of love within our relationships, in uh, society and in other sort of contexts. And he says quite a lot, so I'm going to read it all and then we're going to, I'm going to pull out a few sort of key points from it. So this is what Paul writes in his letter. He says, don't just pretend to love others really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. And he goes on to say, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray for them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. <laughs> so some, a lot there, isn't there? Some really good advice, I think, that Paul writes. And he's not just talking, as I mentioned, about intergenerational relationships here, but I think there are some, real, some really good bits of advice, some key points that we can sort of pull out of this for the topic that we are looking at today. So I want to go back to that text and just look at what those key points are. So first off, Paul addresses that issue of loving others, doesn't he? And he says we can't just pay lip service to it. We can't just tolerate each other. We have to go beyond that. 
We have to feel affection is what he says. We have to feel affection for others. And that means putting ourselves out there on the line, doesn't it? It means we're vulnerable, that we can get hurt, and it's risky. But we need to do that in order to honor others. And he gives some advice as to how we can actually do this practically. He says, hate what is wrong, hold on to what is good. So what could that mean for us today, looking at this topic of living better across generations? Well, I think it, mean, it could mean this, that actually we decide to actively refuse to blame others, refuse to play the generational blame game, and instead choose to focus on positives, focus on the things that we learn from one another, the things that we can learn from older generations and from younger generations. And Paul goes on, doesn't he, to talk about the need to be patient. And he, and he then goes, sort of, describes general things in life, struggles and difficulties, things that we all might go through. But he says through that all that we need to be ready to, to help others, people that are in need. Be ready to be hospitable, to open our homes and our hearts to others. And I think that this idea could link to another idea that when we're going through difficulties in our lives, which we all go through, we can easily feel like nobody know, nobody's been through this before. But quite often, the generations ahead of us have had similar struggles, haven't they? And they know what we have gone through or what we're going through. Have we ever really thought about that, I wonder? Have we thought about the wisdom and advice and experience we can get from those who've gone ahead of us in life? From those who've walked a similar path before us? And those who might be able to relate to what we're going through and offer us some advice or just support? And then finally, the last bit I want to pick out. Paul talks about, that's that beautiful phrase, isn't there? Live in harmony with others, with each other. The idea of living in harmony. He says, don't be proud. And I love that final line. The translation I've chosen puts it really well. It says, and don't think that you know it all. So in other words, be humble, isn't he? Don't be proud. Other translations say things like, don't think you're wiser than you really are. And I think that's part of how we can really be living in harmony with others. And I love this uh, particular translation because my granddad used to say that to me so often. Like, you don't, you don't know it all. Don't think you know it all. Because at times, you know, we can be like that, especially when our younger years, we think we know better. Uh, and often we don't. So what can we take from this in a nutshell? Because there is a lot there, isn't there? But I think actually there is a lot that we can take from it. And Paul goes on to say other things like, Actually, we need to empathize with others. We need to sympathize with them. We need to like, listen to their stories and put ourselves in their shoes and understand what it is that they're going through in life. And I love that reminder not to be proud because that pride is, such a, is so divisive, isn't it, in society. We must accept that others have things to offer us. Maybe older people have things and younger people equally can offer us good advice and they can bring a different perspective. So as I mentioned, there is a lot there, but I think there are some key things we can take away in a nutshell from what Paul is saying. And when it comes to trying to work better across generations, I think what we can take away today is this, that instead of blaming others, let's try to understand them. Let's be patient, let's empathize, see things from their perspective, invite them in to share their story and really listen to them. You know, we saw that in the video clip, didn't we? Two people of different ages, but listening to one another, hearing their perspectives on life. Let's not be proud, but let's honor others and make sure that our love is genuine, that it's not just about tolerating other generations, 
but actually going beyond that and investing in relationships with people of different generations and backgrounds. And for those of us today that are followers of Jesus, um, Paul was talking specifically to, to this group of people, people trying to follow or make a life following Jesus, then actually we get the best example of how to do this in Jesus' life itself. In his earthly life, Jesus treated both children and older persons with utmost respect and love. He treated people equally, and he taught that all are equal in God's kingdom that our age does not disqualify us in any way. And so for us here at Andover Baptist Church, as a community of people sort of muddling through life, trying to find our way and follow Jesus, well, we think that we have an amazing opportunity here to model this for our community right here in Andover. And wherever you are connected to, maybe you're part of a different community, you get that opportunity to model this too in the communities and the groups that we are part of. We believe that we really can be an example of how to show love and respect across the generations. And imagine if we did that well, what, would, what impact would that have? And yes, it's true that the differences between generations can be really difficult to overcome, can't they? There's some real obstacles there. And it might take some real mind shift, mindset shifts on both sides. But I think that if we choose to overcome these obstacles... If we make that decision to genuinely love, not just tolerate, but love in spite of any differences or divisions, then we really are on the path to modeling a society where there is respect across generations and modeling a world that recognizes that we are truly better together. Let's pray together. Loving God, I just, I want to thank you for your people. I thank you that there is such diversity, there is such richness in ages and backgrounds. Thank you that for each of us, Lord, whether it's in our families or where we work or where we spend most of our time, we come across people of all different generations. And loving God, we need your help to change our approach to this, where it's easy to place the blame. Lord, help us to take responsibility. And instead of pointing the finger, Lord, let us approach others with love, with a desire to understand, to, to put, our, put ourselves in their shoes. And Lord, for that respect and love to grow in our hearts for people of other generations and that there would be no division amongst us. I thank you for all that you are calling us to be here at ABC and here in Andover. And we really want to model this well for our community to be that light and that hope to people around us. Amen.